show, we will have Father Jim Mason in the studio. He's going to talk to us about his time as a president rector at Henrik Glennon Seminary. I'm going to get that right this time. Uh, we're going to talk about just seminary in general, what the guys do there, um, how we can help them answer the uh, call to priesthood better um, and help them prepare better. So it's a really great conversation with Father Mason. And before I get to uh, Dr. Bergold, I almost called you Father Bergold again. <laughs> I have to Bishop stop that. Bishop does it all the time. I, yeah. <laughs> um, we also, uh, we did a, a second interview with Father Mason about his call to the priesthood, which we will have on next week. So don't miss that one. It's really, really great. First, we have Dr. Bergwald here for Biblical Bites with Dr. B. For those folks who would rather I not be in the diocese, you can blame Father Jim Mason. <laughs> so, Father Jim, I got to know I Father did Jim. Not, I did not know that, and Nin- I could have kicked him under the table 97. for that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm surprised. So now you know. It's his fault. It is his fault. How so, is it his fault? Uh, I got to know him when we were both studying in Rome. He was studying as a seminary oh. for the diocese who falls in me as a layman okay. towards ultimately my doctorate. Um and so when there's an opening here, we got to know each other. And so there's an opening on staff. And so he called me and asked me. Because he was working here at the time. Oh, uh, well, by then he was a, by the, by the time, by this point, when he called me, no, no. Oh, he was a when priest. When he called already. me, oh, okay. he was a priest. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. When we met, he was a seminarian. Sure. So he was no longer an employee of the diocese. Right. He was a seminarian of the diocese. Right. Okay. So gotcha. anyway, there we go. Uh, so yes, so um, Renee. Yes. What Sunday is it? I think it's the 24th. You are doing really Sunday. well these last few weeks. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm actually looking ahead when I'm at church on Sunday. I know, but you're remembering. And as we all know, it's your memory is not. It's almost entire week I remembered it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, getting better. Um, the, the, all of the readings today are just, they're great readings. And I almost didn't talk about the gospel because the gospel is so familiar, but it's precisely because it's so familiar that it said, you know, let's talk about it. So the gospel for the Sunday, one of the longer gospel readings of the year. Um, I did notice that. And I was like, ah, Bergwald won't talk about that. Right. So what is it? Do you remember? <laughs> I can't remember but now. You know it was long. I remember it. Yes. I remember it being it's, long. It's, it's the parable of the prodigal son. I don't remember that. I must not have looked at it. I must have just noticed it was long and didn't look at what it was. <laughs> so the parable, parable of the prodigal son, one of the most famous of Jesus' well, Bible stories, yeah. period. Yeah. And it is, it's a, it's a story. It's a parable. I think sometimes we get to, it's so vivid. I mean, it's so. You think it, it actually really, happened? That actually happened, well, but it, it it's did. a parable. <laughs> well. It, we have it, no proof one way or the Jesus other. Jesus says it's a parable, so right. we can be confident that it was. Um what I actually want to spend most of our, maybe all of our time, we'll just see how the conversation goes, talking about, though, is is the, the beginning of the gospel reading. So um, the parable of the prodigal son is found only in Luke's gospel. Okay. It's chapter 15, verses 1 through 32. And actually, chapter 15, um, Luke gives us three parables that, and this is the first of them, um, but three of Jesus's parables um, that are all around about similar things, but I just want to start how Luke begins. Tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to listen to Jesus, but the Pharisees and scribes began to complain saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So to them, he addressed this parable. What man among you has, so we actually get some of these other, um, these are the parables. Mm-hmm. The the hundred sheep go after the the, the leave the ninety nine to find the mm-hmm. lost. The woman having ten coins loses one, searches for it, and then we get the parable of the prodigal son. Mm-hmm. But I did want to focus there again at the beginning, setting up for all three of the parables. 
Again, tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to listen to Jesus, but the Pharisees and the scribes began to complain, saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So to them, he addressed this parable and another one, another one. So what's the issue um, with tax collectors and sinners drawing near to Jesus, but and the, such that the scribes and the Pharisees start to grumble about it? Well, you know, as soon as you said that, I was like, that that is really bizarre now because we're all like, oh yeah, we're all sinners. We're all need the church. So that's very antithetical to what we know now. Yep. Yep. And it seems like a very much a holier than thou attitude, which is exactly what they were doing. Right. So yeah. So tax collectors and sinners. So these are Jews Mm -hmm. who are public sinners who are doing Mm -hmm. things that go clearly against the Mosaic law and or are clearly going against the good of the people of Israel or right. their fellow Jews. Um, and they are now drawing near to Jesus. Mm-hmm. So the scribes and Pharisees are like, what is he doing hanging out with these, these, these public sinners? Right. Doesn't he know like good Jews did not uh, publicly interact with Sinning Jews, right. so they're all so they're the 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 the, and I don't want to say self righteous because again these are the, the the Pharisees are simply trying to zealously live out the teachings of the Old Testament, right. and they were doing the thing that they just knew that, right. that had always been done. Right, exactly, exactly. So, mm-hmm. but Jesus is trying to show them uh, that there's more to it than that, what they've always understood. So Jesus is, Jesus comes along. And of course the parable of the prodigal son is all about mercy Mm -hmm. and forgiveness, Mm -hmm. uh, and so on. We we know the story well, but what I want to focus on here is the fact that what Jesus is getting at is this attitude, um, trying to break down, uh, um, uh, a plausible understanding, but a misunderstanding of who God is. Oh, okay. So, so the point is, so Jesus in the parable of the prodigal son and these two other parables that come before it is showing how God's mercy does ex- in fact extend to public sinners. But, but just the, the last thing um, before we wrap up, I think what, what we have to remember today is Jesus calls them to conversion. Right. So then the message was to the scribes and Pharisees, God's mercy is for everyone. Mm-hmm. Today, the message is, and God calls all of us to repentance. Right. So mm-hmm. we can't stay. He calls everyone, mm-hmm. but he calls them to a higher standard and he calls them to repent of their sins for all of us. Right. We can't stay where we are. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks, Dr. B. You bet. Joining me in studio today is Father Jim Mason. He is the Vicar for Clergy for the Diocese of Sioux Falls, and he's also the pastor at Holy Spirit Parish, which is my home parish, which is not why I'm having him on, but he has recently came back to the diocese after being gone for 10 years. Eight years. Eight years. Oh, I thought it was 10 years. Felt like 10. (laughs) For you, It was felt like 10 for us. (laughs) Welcome, Father Mason. It's great to be here. Thank you for coming in. I appreciate it. So we're going to talk about, you have been at uh, uh, Kenrick Glennon seminary in mm-hmm. St. Louis That's for correct. the last eight years as the president rector. And seven as president rector. Okay. Yep. Went there as vice rector and then took over ah. after a year. Okay. Yep. So I wanted to have you come in and, and tell us what that experience was like, what you're seeing with men in seminary um, and how we as the lay people in the diocese can help our own seminarians be uh, discern their path the best they can. 
And if they become priests, become the best priests they can. Praise God. So, yeah. <laughs> no, and that, you know, St. Vincent de Paul would say, you know, perhaps the greatest work is the formation of priests because of the spiritual multiplication. Right. And so it was a real privilege to be, you know, in that and a, and a real responsibility. I mean, outside the sacraments, probably the the greatest thing I'm going to be held accountable for is when the bishop asked me, did you find this man, do you recommend this man to holy orders? Mm-hmm. And so being able to make calls and, 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 and you know, in all four areas of formation too, because right. in the past they probably emphasized intellectual too much to, yeah. and, and they forgot it, no, human, spiritual, intellectual, and then, and then pastoral. Right. And so really a key emphasis on the, the human and the spiritual, and, and then also the men in parishes working, you know, can they right. be with people? Uh, do they, can they work? Those types of things. Yeah. They're praying their holy hour. Yeah, they're holy. But but what's parish like? Like yep. in, in Moneyball, can the guy get on base, right? right I want to right. know, can, can he do these things? And yeah. so it, it was a real honor working in it and and um, and a learning curve. A lot of it was building my team you know, mm-hmm. as far as for priest t- faculty and lay faculty that understand that the vision we had right. for a healthy, holy, you know, joy-filled parish priest. Yeah. How big was that uh, seminary? Well, we had about a hundred, we would range from between 130 and 140 guys. We'd okay. have about 30 guys in the college and then maybe 25 guys in what's called pre-theology. Those okay. are guys with college degrees or, and then major theology would be the rest, maybe 80 or 90 from right. 19 sending dioceses. So we'd go oh, all the wow. way up from Bismarck down to Tyler, Texas to Tulsa. So it was really regional in Indiana. We'd go draw from um, kind of a regional seminary that right. way. And from what I heard recently, um, Kenrick Glennon is kind of leading the way in, well, of course, uh, leading the way in just a different way of of working with the guys, especially in the human formation, I think. I think that's correct. And a lot of that was we're publishing materials that are being used by other seminaries. And some of that is because I had, you know, Dr. Sue Harvath, she's a phenomenal psychologist that has been our psychologist for 30 years. Mm-hmm. So. And, and, you know, the guys as a regular part of it would, would visit with her. And then Joanne Cachon is our, is our counselor. So to then the guys as a regular part, oh, you're going to meet with that. And that's not something, you know, extra. No, that's a normal part. And so some of the things she was teaching, I said, you know, Dr. Harvath, you need to publish this. And we've, we've held symposiums where we've had about 90 sites, uh, you know, seminaries, religious orders, kind of asking for the things we're publishing on, you know, what are the benchmarks of formation right. in this particular stage? What should this man look like? like? Maybe at 24 or 25, yeah, they're doing holy hours, but I, I want the man at that age, he should be able to be a successful focused missionary or be able to manage an Arby's. Oh. <laughs> because you've got, you know, at 25, you, if you've got a degree, you should be able to do yes. that. You should be. Yes. And so those types of things we're looking at and, and challenging men in that. Right. Right. Okay. So um, what was your time like there? I mean, you were there for a while. Though. Yeah, it was. I mean, that's the longest I've ever lived in one place oh, as wow. a priest, okay. you know, and, and I had, we have great, I, you know, priestly camaraderie. And that's what was really good witness to the men mm-hmm. that the 10 priests in house, you know, you know, we'd get together regularly in the priest lounge, watch a game, obviously the Cardinals or the Blues or anything sure, like of course. that. <laughs> um, but so that, and then watching a man grow, mm-hmm. you know, from the first over six years or over eight years and really seeing that maturation in Christ and then seeing him as a priest is is really, really re- rewarding. You right. Know, it's a gift. Right. Okay. So can you um, tell us what what's a typical day like for a seminarian there? Because it, most of us have no idea what this is like. Right. Well, you know, my day would, you know, for a lot of them, they would start, I, my day started at five in the morning. Mm-hmm. There's probably five, five thirty. I, you know, they're in the chapel. When I got there, I was usually in the chapel by five thirty. but the guys, when I got there, there'd be maybe six at 6 a.m. and we'd pray the Angelus. By the time I left, there were 60 in there or 70 yeah. and by 6.15, 
almost everybody. So they're praying a morning holy hour. Right. And then at 7 a.m., we'd have morning prayer communally. And then at 7.30, we'd have mass. And then they'd have breakfast. And then they'd have their classes. Sure. You know? And sure. through the mor- through the morning, I mean, maybe some in the afternoon, they can have some apostolic work in the afternoon. So different things like that. They are all assigned to parishes. Okay. So, you know, ah. they, they work. They also work in parishes doing either youth ministry or communion calls. Okay. It's a really important part of it. I didn't know that that happened because, of course, I don't live in a place where there's a seminary. But Right. So it's it's a great gift to St. Louis in the sense that all, all of these maybe 50 parishes every year have a couple seminarians in it. Yeah. And they yeah. see that. Yeah, because we only get them in the summer. Right, when they come home, right, but. and it's harder in the summer. So they're doing their religious ed programs. They're teaching in that, and those, and they're deaconing. They have the deacons, transitional deacons. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, so then there's also the um, the years of study because, of course, mm-hmm. we see on our some our uh, seminarian poster you have theology one, theology two. Right. Can you tell us what now? There's a propedeutic year, which mm-hmm. is like a preparation year, right? right? And that's still, you know, being unfolded. Yes. And at Kenrick, we're still looking at unfolding. Okay, what does that look like? And um, different models of that. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what Bishop DeGroote is very open to saying, okay, you know, what do the men need at that propedeutic state? Right. And so I would say we're still kind of exploring that. Yeah. Okay. And so then what do, what do the rest of the years look like? Well, you know, it, once again, if you're coming in at college, your your first two years are kind of general ed. The guys would take vans down to St. Louis University, you know, and oh, do okay. general ed. But you'd also have you have morning prayer, morning mass, you'd mm-hmm. have, and then and then you're going to study philosophy and some languages mm-hmm. and those types of things. The next two years, uh, you'd have some type of philosophy degree, a philosophy degree, and maybe another degree. Then you'd have four years of what's called major theology. Right, and so. That's the the first years are two years if you're coming with a college degree of philosophy mm-hmm. and then four years of theology right. as far as the academic and and it has really it's easy to f- just focus on the academic right right but the more important part is once again it is is, is the maturation of the man you mm-hmm. know on the human level and mm-hmm. on the spiritual level like is he coming to his holy outer hour out of discipline and duty or out of desire and love. Right. And I want to move that to no I want to be with Jesus each morning right. so when no one's watching. I'm still drawn to be with them. Yep. And and that's a really important movement. Yeah. And I'm, or am I afraid of people? And and yes. you know, in my sacristy rat, you know, I kind of live in the sacristy because I, I just don't I don't want to be with people. Well, right. So we do a thing where the guys spend a year in the parish in St. Louis and they're working and teaching and full, you know, full out in the parish with a good pastor, but there's also a lay review board. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions I have them ask the lay review board is if this man was to discern out of the priesthood, would you want him to date your daughter or niece? Oh. Why or why not? And be honest. That's so a good th- question. It's a very, because you got to have some skin in the game here. And so <laughs> if somebody says, oh, no, but he's, he's good to be a priest, time out. You don't understand. <laughs> That's not a good answer. Right. Right. So really understanding that, that, uh, that, that is, is part of it. Right. Right. Um, okay. So one of the questions that someone had asked me once, I can't even remember where this question came from, but. So we have seminaries and we have our men go through all of this, but the apostles didn't do this. So why do we do this now? Or because in many Protestant churches, you just go get a certificate or you barely do that and you just start your own church and off you go. I mean, my first point might be, you know, <laughs> do, are you following first century Jewish hygiene practices? <laughs> I am not. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Cause they'll show me the picture of Jesus with the long hair and right. I think, why? No. So, um, because once again, the, that during the apostolic age, there was particular graces, but also too, 
um, an understanding of formation. And what happened was um, some really unformed, you know, when they weren't having this, and this came with the Council of Trent, it, why did they do it? Because there was a need. Sure. Because you had really poor theology. Yeah. And we can't just say, oh, no, the Holy Spirit's going to provide. Well, no, you'd have to do some work on right. that. And right. do you have the capacity? Right. And so, and we have more formation than um, than often a Protestant pastor because I don't have 30 hours a week to work on a homily. It's a very so, true. So I, I honestly, I don't with, yeah. with what my life is, but I'm going to give you a good homily, hopefully, and I'm going to prepare for it. But that's because I've been prepared right. in so many other ways. And we would have a gr- greater understanding on the need of philosophy. You know, how do I think? Right. What is the spirit of the day? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really important. Yes. And that builds into then theology. Yes. Yeah. Super important today, especially. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. Um, in case you've just joined us, I'm talking to Father Jim Mason, and we're talking about uh, what life is like in seminary. So um, what I, <laughs> this is something I think that's a really important thing to, to talk about and understand is there are some consistent challenges that are happening for everybody right now, but especially young men going into seminary. Can you talk about those a little bit? Yeah. I mean, you maybe put the date at, you know, possibly 2012 when junior high kids started getting smartphones. Oh, sure. All right. <laughs> and, and, and the level of anxiety, Dr. Harvath, once again, our psychologist, she said, you know, if this was the 1960s, this would be inpatient level treatment, but it's oh, wow. not. Yeah. Because as far as the scale of anxiety of our young mm-hmm. and, and then, so, and then these internet issues that really have to be, we have to be honest about it and deal with it because they're good men, but, but that's real. Right. And, and, and then the maturation, you know, that sometimes I take for granted, like I was working since I was 14 right. and had jobs and that's not the norm and different jobs with responsibility mm-hmm. and things like that. That's not always the case. So right. we have to help the men in that. I, I do a workshop called uh, scared straight for seminarians <laughs> and it's 12 scenarios. Scared straight of, with father Mason. Yeah. <laughs> It's 12 actual um, scenarios, all of them from St. Lambert's, of, of, of basically parishioners in your grill. Oh, you know, wow. Maybe you have to do a, you know, it's a personnel thing. Maybe it's, maybe it's a baptism thing. Maybe it's a wedding thing. But you have to be, be able to hold your ground. And, right. And the guys have never really been formed in that. Right. And we use a book called Negotiating the Yes from the Harvard Business Project to just oh, go through yeah. principles yeah. of that. And the, the guys really love it. but. There was one priest, young priest, and I was visiting, and he said, oh, Father, I smiled the other, I smiled the other day because you had told us that when we were an associate and our pastor would leave, somebody's going to do an end around. <laughs> and it was just a woman that was going to do some announcements, and they had agreed it would be before the Mass, uh-huh. but then she was, you know, she had the young priest, so now she was going to change it. Oh, sure. And I told him you know, when I preparing, I said, just pull out your cell phone and say, oh, I've got, I've got the pastor on speed dial. I'll call him right now. <laughs> and he played her bluff and then she backed down. <laughs> and so just this understanding, that's part of life. Right. It's part of humanity. Right. It's kind of like uh, uh, kids having mom and dad and playing them right. against each other right. in those cases. And I'm sure that happens right. a lot. And books don't talk back in the seminary, but people do. <laughs> and so just an understanding of being able to smile with it, roll with it, but this is your role as, as, as a spiritual father. Right. You know, right. And you can't, it's gotta be difficult for priests and, and seminarians to not give in to what people want all the time because they want it and you want to make them happy. And And it's easier. It is easier, but it's not, that's not what parents do. And and on my end, you know, I, some preparation is that, you know, I was a prosecutor for a year and a half in Minneapolis. So I said no every day and people (laughs) didn't like me. And I had to learn to not to take that personally. Right. But, you know, justice I was seeking, you know, the, and what giving the other their due, what's proper due. But yeah, that's the thing that the guys would say, you know, that conflict, I, I don't, many of them, I don't like conflict. Okay, right. you don't have to like it, but Jesus, that was really part of Jesus' life. And 
he knew he was the beloved son and whom he was well pleased. So when he's rejected at Nazareth, he walks through the crowd and he's mourning that they, they're not going to be his first followers, but he's not defined by it. So I say like three days later, he wasn't calling his buddies as it's like, do you believe those jerks in Nazareth? I I can't believe they rejected me. No, he let it go. Right. Because he knows who he is. Right. And that's that morning holy hour. That's that, you know, Gethsemane where you're like, Father, let this cup pass from my lips. But if you bring Christ into it and you're praying in it, and then you also have some brother priests that you can share with and, yeah. and mentors. Yeah. The mentoring is really important. Yeah. And and that's why associates aren't mm-hmm. pastors immediately because right. they need that time. In, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was made pastor. On a, Were you? Yeah, yeah, but that's really unusual. I'd had a lot of work. I'd, I was yeah. work experience and I'd had a lot of time. And yeah. So it worked out. Yeah. And and that is true. There, That is possible for some people, but not on the whole, right. usually. So. And I had, and I could ask questions every day to Bishop Carlson because I was, I had, you know, I was in Garrettson right. and I was in here. And so pastoral questions all the time. Right. Right. So you had like good support system mm-hmm. there. Um, are there things parents and families can do to help their sons be better, better ready to uh, maybe answer a call to the priesthood or even consider it? Uh, you know, the first one would be to grow in holiness. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, that's going to always be in our own and not in a, not in a, an accusatory way, right. but in a free way of saying, you know, um, nemo dat quid non habit, you cannot give what you do not possess. Right. And do I know Jesus? And am, am, am I sharing Jesus? Mm-hmm. Particularly, I want to say to the men, to the fathers, you know, you know, are you sharing Jesus and yeah. the love of the Father, the love of the Son, the love of the Holy Spirit, the love of the Eucharist, because mm-hmm. they'll see that. Um, and then, you know, an openness to uh, the call, because because it can be very hard, particularly if you have a smaller family or right. something like that, but yep. just being open that, that you know, God's call is for our fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And and I think for some of the young men to, to visit a seminary, because then it's in your imagination. Right. And then you go there to discern. So... We would say, you know, I am not interested in you becoming a priest. Okay. I'm interested in you listening to God. Oh, sure. And you might have a sense at a young age, okay, but, you know, what's the fulfillment of that? Mm-hmm. And we had young man, a young man that discerned out, and he was really good. He was a senior, and he wrote me a nice note, letter, and I, you know, I told you about that thing about, you know, dating a daughter or niece. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. said, well, here's Grace Ronaldo. She's a sophomore at SLU. She's my niece. You know, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> You know, so, I mean, we want healthy men and it was a good discernment yeah. on his part. Yeah. Uh, well, and I have noticed that it seems like some of the best husbands are men who went to seminary for a year or two and discerned out. Yeah. There's a level of formation that you just can't get anywhere else. And that, our Dr. Harvath, I always tease her because she's got like, you know, one of her 42 year old son and she'll have these guys discern out. And then within six months, they're engaged in our year. And she's like, okay, he's just got to come in for like three, three days and then he'll get this smell on him and then he'll leave. <laughs> That's that. That's a mom. Is, yeah, sure. That's that's hilarious. Uh, is there is there something for men who do discern out? Um, what is it that that they take with them that makes them better? Maybe that's a stupid question, but I, I think it's a question that I have to ask. What makes them a better husband or whatever it is that their vocation is after that? You know, it's it's the the relationship with Christ and the growth in the sacraments and the priorities and hopefully you know there's going to be the discipline. Right. But that's that's just one level and for us uh, often that's where a guy might come. He's got the discipline, but it hasn't gone to the heart yet. So right. if if he's allowed that to happen, you know, been crushed in a good way, then you're going to be free. Right. And 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 that's really important. Free to leave, free to stay. So the image I would give is you know you're not grasping. Like okay. this, you're, you know, everything I ever gave to God had claw marks on it, right? Mm-hmm. Hold on, even my sin, like just like this, <laughs> but I'm in cruciform okay. and I'm free. And so if I've allowed myself, you know, 
Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through me. If I, if, if I you know, every day bring those things to the Lord, as a young man you do that, then you're, you're maturing. And that what distinguishes you in today's society because there's just so much immaturity yes. in young men. Yes. I mean, that, that's, it's, and it's hard. Yep. It's tough for you young women out there today. <laughs> Gonna, I'm, gl- I'm glad I'm not dating now because <laughs> that would be terrible. I would really hate it. <laughs> um, are there certain, I, I I didn't have this question for you ahead of time, but it just kind of dawned Let me on get me. Straight, so. though, don't come into the seminary just to- no, To be no, a better no, husband? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There has to be some sense of the call. Yes, there. I would agree. I would agree. Um, is there a certain type of family background that is especially conducive? that you have seen, is there a pattern in families or who comes through or no? Well, I mean, it's, it would be great, faithful to parents, all that, but I also, you can never limit God. Right. You know, and, and so he, he calls beyond that. So yep. I don't want to, but you know, certainly the practice of the faith and yeah. the joy of the faith. Yep. And, and then that's a normal part is extremely helpful. But once again, we have men from all different backgrounds because mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit works as as you know, as it will. You know? Yep, yep. I know the uh, priest who did our marriage prep. He was in in Rapid City when we lived there, but he actually was a, a Baptist. Yeah. Um, before he became a right. priest, I mean, he converted to Catholicism and very quickly went to seminary. And right. of course, his family's like, "What's happening?" But right. that was Bishop Swain. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so right. An understanding yeah. that. So just, yeah. So I wouldn't want to label anything or, mm-hmm. or think that people, and, and God uses everything for his glory. So, you know, sometimes the guys come in and like, oh, I have this past, uh, you know, God won't be able to sa- accept me. And I say, you want, you know, this year we didn't have one applicant who had a concubine from the age of 15 to 30. Because that was St. <laughs> St. Augustine. Right. So, so, right? so now I can right. go through a list of the saints. Yep. And so just don't limit it. Right. Absolutely. Um, are there some things that we as people in the diocese can do to help young men, even not young men, because it's not always just young men, but um, to encourage them to think about the priesthood? Yeah, I mean, I think when you do see qualities in a young man of, of faithfulness and those types of things of, of pursuing truth and, and and saying, hey, have you thought about the priesthood? Mm-hmm. Or, boy, you know— I. And not in a pressured-filled way, you right. know, like oh, you'd be, you have to be a priest. No, that's never it. But an openness to it—that's mm-hmm. that's really the key. And and uh, and so we're not like trying to recruit things so we can you know check it off, but right. just that that it's a more natural way. You know, there are those who do not marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. If you can do this, you should. That's an opening. That that means that every person should be able to discern that call. Right. 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 Yeah, that's very good. Um, okay. We're pretty much out of time, okay. of course, already. Yeah. I told <laughs> um, you, you had a list I know, here that would we, probably be two days. We, <laughs> well, I'm sure there's much more that could be said about all of these, but mm. I'm really glad you're back in the diocese. It's good to be back. Um, especially at my parish. We've yep. enjoyed having you there so far, and I look forward to more great homilies. So, mm-hmm. um, And uh, before we go, Father Mason is going to come back for another episode for next week. So we're going to record that, and we're going to talk about his vocation story. So if you don't know it, Make sure you join us next week to hear that. Great. So, all right. Thank Thanks you. for being here, Father. You bet. My pleasure. All right. If you haven't found us already on social media, you can find us at Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And of course, now on Rumble, all of our videos are there as well. Uh, thanks for joining us. Hope you'll join us again next week for more Catholic Views.